Lord, we pause right now to feel the weight of what we just sung. We don't just rush into the next portion of the service. We are singing about truths that, as 1 Peter says, angels long to look into. And so how can we just rush past them? I pray our hearts would be stilled in the presence of our King right now. We, in our hearts, would be saying, you are holy. You are altogether awesome. You are altogether righteous. You are altogether good. And you are altogether worthy of all the praise. Lord, forgive us when we want the praise. Forgive us when our pride says we deserve the praise that only you do. You will not share your glory with another. And so, with your presence here with us, God, I pray that we would be quiet and do well to listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what your spirit would say to your church today. Father, I pray we would not let our pride keep us from growing and understanding and being convicted and being encouraged and being refreshed and even rebuked by your word. Father, I pray that we would know and come under the authority of it this morning in humility and dependency and brokenness to say, holy are you, God, and how desperately we need you. Give us a taste of your glory today. Lord, continue to build your church. Be with my mouth now. O Spirit, let not one word be uttered that is not of you. In Jesus' name, if you agree, church, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Those are eternal life-changing, life-impacting truths that we have just been singing of, and I pray that you are as encouraged and refreshed as I have been so far today. Well, church, this is a very um, significant Sunday. Every Sunday is significant. There is nothing just like another Sunday ever, but this is significant in that we launch into a new sermon series entitled Towards the goal, God's glory in the church. We just finished a four-week series through Philippians chapter 3, verse by verse, word by word, on pressing on toward the goal and seeing God's glory in the life of the believer, as us as individuals, as followers of Christ. And now, by extension of that, we launch into God's glory in the church. Every one of these series that we're doing right up until our ministry kickoff in September for the next year is building on one another. Okay, so here we are, God's glory in the believer, and now, how does that manifest itself to see God's glory in the church? We are going to be taking um, a look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40 today. If you do not have a Bible, please put your hand up nice and high because we would love to put one in your hand. It's really important that we follow along with God's word, and so please put up your hand nice and high so our ushers can put one in your lap. 
as well. If you do not have a Bible at home, please keep that. That is yours to keep, and that is a blessing and privilege for us to see you studying the Word of God on your own as well. And so why, why am I so fired up about this series? Why is this series so important? Well, well, here's why. Some sobering statistics from this week. Uh, people are losing hope for the church today. You notice that? People are losing hope. Why do we even need the church? We don't need a church. We don't need God. We got ourselves. They're losing hope in the church. And to back that up, as of 2015, this is the latest research study by Christian Post, reports that, get this, 10,000 churches are closing every year and thousands of people, roughly 3,500, are leaving the church each day in North America. Does that do anything to you? 10,000 churches in North America closing every year. 3,500 people walking away from the church every day. Why is this? What's the problem? I thought Jesus said he was going to build his church. Matthew 16. I mean, what's the problem? Is there, is there any hope? Well, I will say this, loved ones, right out of the gate, because this sets the tone for our entire series. We know for certain that we have every reason to firmly believe that without a doubt, get this, without a doubt, the church of Jesus Christ will continue to advance. We know that without a doubt, hands down. Do you believe that? I do. I don't care. I don't care how dark this world gets. I don't care how much people try to push God to the fringes. The church of Jesus Christ, God said it. Jesus has the final say. It's going to be done. The church of Jesus Christ will continue to advance. And we have every reason to hope And we will see the gospel be proclaimed no matter how dark the days seem to get. Why? Why do we have this hope? Because the foundation of the church has always been and forever will be unshakable. It's eternal. How do we know that? 1 Corinthians 3.11. Here's why. For no one can lay a foundation, this is of the church, than that which is laid. Which is, everyone say it together. Jesus Christ. He's not going anywhere. He's not sitting up in heaven right now being like, man, I didn't see that coming. What am I going to do? He's got full authority. He's awesome. He's in control. So the issue, therefore, stems not from what the foundation is, because that's not going to change, but rather how this foundation is being built upon by us as his hands and feet. There's the difference. The foundation's not the problem. The, the, the difference is, we have to look at, is how are we using the tools that God has given us in the power of his spirit as his hands and feet to see the church established on this foundation? Okay? All right, and here in this text, Jesus himself gives us the two greatest commandments in all of scripture. You think this is an insignificant text? Mm-mm. These are the two greatest commandments in which all scripture is filled by. This is a big deal to God. Let's make it a big deal to us. And we must embrace these if we are to faithfully build on him as the foundation of the church and see God's glory established in it both now and in generations to come. So here's my encouraging today, church. Ready? This is, this is a series of mobilization of this church moving forward. Lean in, get your pens ready, and let's go. Okay? Let's go. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, the great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he, that is Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together... And one of them, a lawyer who was an expert in the law, 
asked him a question to test him. So he's asking Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. On these two commandments depend or hang on all the law and the prophets. Notice verses 34 to 36. To build on the foundation of the church, we must embrace, number one, our vertical command, a vertical command to love God above all. Vertical command to love God above all, 34 to 36. But when the Pharisees heard he, had, he being Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, a couple of names there. The Pharisees. The Pharisees were known as the keepers of the law. Okay? The keepers of the law. The, the, they were known as the religious elite of society. Okay, religious leaders in Israel. Now, what is this law that they're talking about? What is this law? Well, this is the law that God gave to Moses when the Israelites were in the wilderness. Mount Sinai of how his people were to live in relationship with him. And this, is, this can be found in the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Pentateuch of the Old Testament. Okay, he, gives, he lays out the law. Now, what does this include? What's this law? Well, we got the Ten Commandments, okay? The Ten Commandments, but in addition to that, like, take time to read through this and, and be blown away by what Jesus Christ has done because there are 613 additional commands on top of the Ten of how God desires his people to live in relationship with him. Ten Commandments, 613 additional ones on top of it. That's the law we're talking of. And in addition to that, if that wasn't enough, the Pharisees imposed non-biblical standards or religious rituals that kept people in bondage and expected them to keep these if they were to honor God. If we could break down the, what the Pharisees were doing, human tradition was nullifying scripture. Human tradition, adding things that God never put in there. Prioritizing things that God didn't prioritize. You can see how quickly that would lead for people to be in bondage. Now the Sadducees, on the other hand, these were rivals with the Pharisees who were wealthy and they had political power, okay? But they didn't believe the same things as the Pharisees, mostly, and they were in conflict with them, okay? Yet even though they were normally fighting with each other, they were unified in opposing Christ and trying to discredit him or bring a charge against him because Christ was taking their followers, claiming he's the Messiah and doing all these things. He's, they're no longer the popular deal. People are turning to Christ. So notice this. Why does this lawyer come? Look at verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, expert in the law, asked him a question to do what? Test him. Another way of saying that is he wanted to trap Jesus. He's coming. And no wonder they send an expert of the law. And notice where it says, notice how he silenced the Sadducees. Don't you see the conflict between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They're like, hey, he shut down the Sadducees, so let's take a crack at him now. And then we'll be looked upon as being really good. We trapped Jesus. Sadducees couldn't do it. We can. He's coming to test him. This isn't a genuine question he's asking here. Look what he says. What's the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 36. 
And what the Pharisee lawyer is saying here is that, he's, if we can break it down in today's terms, he's like, what is the number one rule or command we should be doing or keeping to live godly lives? What's the number one thing we have to do? What's the task that we need to be engaged in to live godly lives? I love how Jesus responds, verse 37 and 38. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, see how Jesus flips things on their head here? Right? I mean, instead of saying that the greatest commandment was some task or ritual or performance that needed to be done. Jesus says that it is the command, the greatest command to love the Lord from a genuine heart that trumps any act of obedience. I agree to do a whole sermon series on that thing right there. He flips it on its head. It's not, let's do the next ritual. What is the Greek word there for love? That Jesus says, you shall love the Lord. We get these ideas of what love is and they get all mixed up. So let's look at what Jesus has to say of what love is. The Greek word there for love is agapeo. Okay, agapeo, and it means to take pleasure in, long for, or actively doing what God prefers. What God prefers, not what we prefer. What God prefers. Say it this way. So let's insert that meaning in. It says this. You shall long for or take pleasure in doing what God wants with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall long for or take pleasure in doing what God wants with all of your heart, soul, mind. And Mark 12 says strength as well. And so all of the things Jesus lists here heart, soul, mind, simply point to the fact that it is to be our complete being that we are to love God with. Complete being. Every single thought, every single word, every single action, every part of us. Our complete being. All the time. Okay, full stop. Full stop right there. Don't don't let that pass by. Do you realize what a command that is? I mean, if we are to fulfill this part of the commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, it means that the greatest thing the people of Israel back then, and we as individuals, church, today, can do is to love God with everything we've got. In everything we do, get this, stacking up, stacking up, in every second of our lives, We will love nothing else more than him at any moment. And everything that we think, say, do, and want will be an expression of that love for him. Uh, Hey, hey, hands up if you're feeling a little overwhelmed right now. A little overwhelmed? Just me? Just me? Oh, yeah. Thanks. Praise the Lord. Love your honesty. Right? Feeling overwhelmed because, because here's the reality. Here's the reality. In many ways, isn't it easier? Isn't it a lot easier to just be the Pharisee? Do the next right thing. Just do the task. Don't worry about your heart. Just get the task done. It's way easier to be a Pharisee. Never mind the heart change. And what Jesus is doing here is he's going after the heart. 
He's going after their heart and giving out a clear call, not for, okay, get this, not, a, not for ritual obedience. He's not calling them to some ritual obedience. Just show up and keep doing things. He's calling them to passion. He's calling them to passion, having a passionate love for him in our individual lives and for us as a church today. He's, it's a call to passion. It's not a call to the task. It's a call to the passion behind it. A love for him. And why, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Because the reality is this. We're called to have a passion for God because do you ever think about this? You hear that all the time. Have a passion for God and love for God and love for God. But here's the reality behind that reality. Do you ever think about that God has a passionate love for us? Brad, God has a passionate love for you. He loves you. He gave his life for you. Amanda, he loves you. He is so passionate about his children. He is so passionate about his church. And he's so passionate, in fact, that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth as fully God and fully man to die on the cross for our sin so that he, Jesus Christ, would be the very foundation from which this church is built upon And not only be the foundation, but to give us the power to live out a life of love for him like this. Because the reality is this. You saw that list stacked up we just looked at. It is impossible to do this on our own. It is impossible to do. To love God as Jesus Christ just threw down the gauntlet here. And it is impossible to do without him. But because of his passion for you, because of his passion for me and for his church, he gave us his only son to give us what we would need to do this in what is commanded to fulfill what he commands. Think back to this last week in your own life. Just, just think about this. Think about this. You say, it really isn't that hard? Just think back to your last week. How'd it go? Just how'd it go? How's it working for you? Loving God every second with every thought, every time you open your mouth, Every action, how to go. It's okay, it's church, loved ones. It's all right. Didn't go that well for me. Hey, Micah. That's my kid. All right? So here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. We have to remember, the church is the most precious thing to Jesus Christ in the universe. It just is. How do we know this? How do we know he's so fired up and consumed with passion for his church? John 2.17 tells us. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal, that means passion, it love, for your house, the house of God, his church, would consume me. Jesus is consumed by passionate love for his church. Consumed by it. Why? Why is this? Why would, why would God send his only son? Why is he so passionate? Because the church is the only hope of the world. There it is. He purchased it with his own blood. He's the only hope of the world and is God's chosen instrument of salvation and sanctification. There's no plan B. God's like, well, the church isn't working out, so let's try something else. No, there is no plan B. He's so fired up about the church 
This is Christ's great command for his church, to love him with all our hearts, every ounce of our being, and that everything that is happening in this church would be leading others to that end. Why? Why? Because that's when he's most glorified. That's when he's most glorified. When he sees an army of believers assembling on a Sunday morning, raising their hands or teaching kids in Harvest Kids or parking cars in the parking lot, coming together, praying together, leading others to love Jesus more, that's awesome. It's never just another Sunday. So how about you? How about me? Does your life, does mine reflect a life that loves the Lord our God with everything you've got and is passionate about his church in how you serve him in it, in how you speak about it, in how you pursue him in it, in your personal life and corporately together? Does our lives reflect that? Another way to ask this is this. What's competing with him is your first love right now what's competing with him that would quench that desire what's keeping you from loving him with all your heart what's quenching your passion for Christ and his church what is it some examples maybe, maybe it's pride in wanting things your way Well, if, the, if there's everything that I want in a church, if the lights are just right and the, and the music is just so, and blah, then, I'll, then I'll go, really? Where's, where's God? Well, if I serve a certain number of times and then I have a certain number of times, where's, where's God? Pursuit of other things, like the pursuit of other things even outside of the church. The thing that you pursue, because here's the reality, loved ones, the things that you pursue the most reveal what you love the most. The things what you pursue the most reveal what you love the most. If it's your kids, if it's your spouse, these are good things, but they're never meant to be your greatest pursuit ever. And a quenching of our love for God happens as a result. You see, the truth is this. Our love and passion for the Lord is the first thing the enemy will try to steal in the life of the believer and in the church. It's the first thing. Why? Because Jesus just told us. It's the greatest commandment. So if it's the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then you can be sure that it's the greatest thing the enemy's coming after. It's the greatest thing the enemy's coming after. He wants you to feel bored in church. What's the point? What's the point of pursuing God? There's so many other things to pursue. There's so many other things. Why does the enemy go so hard after this? Because when we are passionate about the Lord in love for him, we will continue to pursue him as our first love and be fired up about his church and others will see that and be drawn to that. Charles Wesley put it this way. He says, Charles Wesley said this. He goes, he says, uh, be lit up with a passion for God and a love for him and others will come for miles to see you burn. But why would people bother coming to church, getting involved and, and seeing God do what he's promised to do in the church and we're complaining about it? You see, this is the last thing the enemy wants, is for people to be drawn 
to the love of the Savior through the church and through our individual lives. He's like, don't be passionate about the Lord. Be passionate about your car. Be passionate about Facebook. Be passionate about your grades. Be passionate about your money. Be passionate about yourself. Again, these all good things in themselves, in and of themselves, most of those things, all good things, but never meant to be our greatest passion and our greatest first love. Ever. You know, why, why is it that this happens so easily? That the enemy works so hard? Because without a passion for the Lord to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind, we become apathetic in our pursuit of God and passive and indifferent about his church. And our love for the Lord is soon replaced with a love for other things or even ourselves. Why do you think, you know, I heard a sobering stat this week, loved ones. Why do you think 80 to 85% of churches in North America are plateaued or in decline? Not only are 10,000 closing every year, on average, 80 to 85% are plateaued or in decline. Why is that? Why is that? They lost their first love, mostly. Love this quote by J.C. Ryle. You'll see it on the screen. He says this, Nothing is so effective in keeping true Christianity alive as the yeast of zealous Christians scattered throughout the church. As the yeast of ze- zeal for the house will consume him. Yes. You get fired up in your love for the Lord when you're around people who are fired up in their love for the Lord. I love this. Uh, Mark and I were just talking before the service. I said, Mark, I'm so, I was so excited and so fired up to get your email this week that you were coming. He goes, I was fired up when I got yours. Yes. You want to get hot, you got to get close to the fire, loved ones. You want to feel the heat? Let's get into the fire pit. Let's get near the furnace to mutually stir one another on to love and good deeds. This is the beauty of the church. And so you say, well, wait, like, I want that. I'm just like, I just feel like I'm just hanging on. And I don't, I've never been to a church that like emphasizes passion about the church. And I, what, how do I grow? How do we do this? We can't grow in our passion for the Lord as our first love above all. Well, it's, it's quite actually simple. It's tough, but simple. You have to prioritize the things in your life that God promises to bless that will lead you there. We have to prioritize. So again, just think back to your last week and just run this through. Because here's, here's the thing, you can't just, loved ones, you can't just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to be passionate for God today. You can't do it, it doesn't work like that. Your flesh, your sinful fallen flesh will be like, you think so? Watch what I do. Boop. It has to come from a supernatural love that's given from a supernatural Savior. You can't just manufacture it one day. Okay? And so four ways we grow in our love for the Lord. And, and honestly, honestly, you look out through a scripture, there's text after that. I just ran out of text looking at these things. And we're gonna, so we're going to be unpacking each of these things, each of these pillars you see around us. We're unpacking those the next four weeks. Here they are. Number one, four ways we grow in our love for the Lord through, through the word, through the word of God. It renews our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It changes our heart to reflect the desires that God wants. It's living and active, Hebrews 4.12, sharper than a two-edged sword. 
It exposes the innermost attitudes of the heart. I love how James McDonald said it this way. What food, get this, what food is to the body, scripture is to the soul. You go without food, you starve your body. You go without the word of God, you starve your soul. And then people wonder why they're not fired up about God. They wonder why their love for the Lord isn't, and they just say, I just don't feel God on this. He's like, first step, get in the book. This is why we're passionate about God's word in this church. Because the word of God himself, Jesus Christ, is the foundation. It's where everything has to start, loved ones. Four ways we grow in our love for the Lord through the word. And we have reading plans at the back. I looked at today, make sure they were there. There's reading plans at the back. And it's not to check and check. Just get in front of you. Whether you stick to the plan or not, just open the book and give God a chance. Get your awe. Four ways you're growing our love for the Lord. Through the word, number two, through worship. Through worship. And, and not just singing the songs on Sunday, but a lifestyle for the glory of God with a heart that is fixed on him. I was in the, and I so often miss this, that everything we do, whether we're parenting kids, whether we're going shopping for groceries, whether we're cutting the grass, everything is done to the glory of God. That's a heart of worship. It's not confined to music. Yesterday, I'm out cutting my grass, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm looking at these trees. I'm like, Lord, no one else is going to see this petal, and my kids will probably rip it off by tomorrow morning. But you're awesome. Look at the detail in this. And so often, I just brush past that stuff. And he's like, here's my glory. Here's my glory. A lifestyle of worship, loved ones. We're going to unpack that. Unashamed worship. How do we lift high the name of Jesus in our lives? Not just on Sunday mornings. Four ways we grow in our love for the Lord. Number one, through the word. Number two, through worship. Number three, through prayer. Unceasing prayer. Prayer brings our will and affections. You know what prayer does? Prayer is amazing. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. Why? Because it brings our will and affections in line with our Savior's. That's what God does to us in prayer. I love how uh, Puritan minister Thomas Vincent, you'll see it on the screen, he said this. He says, if you, okay, I'm just going to read this over you. Just just listen, let it flow. If you would have much love to Christ in your heart, you must often be at the throne of grace upon your knees and there humbly acknowledge, if not the lack, yet the weakness of your love to Christ. Bewail your sins which dampen your affections and earnestly request that he would work your hearts unto a strong love for him. That's awesome. You have to remember, loved ones, this is what God wants to give you. And we can't conjure it up. It has to come from him. And he's so passionate that when he sees you approach that throne of grace with calm, you say, I blew it, I blew it, I blew it. He goes, I know, but I covered that on the cross. I know I covered that on the cross. Come to me. Watch what happens. And I will, I will instill a love for me in you. Lastly, four ways we grow in our love for the Lord. Through the word, through worship, through prayer. And lastly, through service. Unafraid witness. Unafraid witness, pillar number four. This is in the church, service in the church, and witnessing to others. You see, I love how Ephesians 14, 4, 15, and 16, it'll say that the body builds itself up in love. Love for God, love for each other. When? 
when each person is serving and does their part. That's the beauty. You've got to remember, when you ser- to ser- okay, let's break it down this way. To serve for Christ, ready? To serve for Christ with the heart of Christ leads to transformation like Christ. To serve for Christ with the heart of Christ leads to transformation like Christ. This is why it goes way beyond just holding a baby in the nursery. Or I see Mary Claude at Harvest Kids check-in today just doing a phenomenal job for the glory of the Lord, but it goes way beyond checking people in. And this is why the Lord tries so hard to strip you of your passion to serve in the church. He's like, don't do that. Do it on your own time. It's not convenient for you. This is why Satan works so hard to do that because he knows the power of God is being quenched in you as you fall to that. Because serving in the church is one of the ways we grow in our love for Jesus Christ. Our witnessing to neighbors. When you step out in faith in the fear of the Lord and not a fear of man to witness to that coworker, you are growing in the love of Jesus Christ when it's done with a heart for Christ. To see his love and glory established in that person's life. He grows you in your love for him. It's no wonder why 80 to 85% of churches are in decline. They were like, I'm just going to give God my leftovers. God's like, no, 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 no. The great commandment says, you give me all, and then watch as my power is unleashed through you. Watch what happens for my glory. And I just have to say, we have been so blessed in this church with faithful servants of the living God. Week in and week out, being a part of a core group, it's tough. And they're lugging a lot of weight right now. But I am, just, I am just so blessed by the people who are passionately committed to growing in their love for the Lord and it shows in their service to others. See, to build on the foundation of the church, we must recognize our vertical command to love God above all. And from the overflow of that, we must also embrace our horizontal command to love others as ourselves. Look at verse, let's read verse 37 to 39. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. As if the first, you see what Jesus just did here? As if the first commandment wasn't impossible enough. It's like you're treading water already, being like, help, Lord. And then he hands you a baby. And it's like, what are you going to do? As if the first commandment wasn't impossible enough, Jesus now follows that up with a second command that is just as impossible to do on our own. Love your neighbor as yourself. That love, the word for love there, it's actually the same word, agapeo. Same word. To take pleasure and long for, actively do what God prefers in the life of the other person. What does God prefer you to do in the life of your spouse, in the life of your kids, in that person who's checking through your groceries? Say it again. Say it in a sentence. Let's insert that into what Jesus just said. Someone who is near you, I'm sorry, you shall do what God prefers or take pleasure for your neighbor as yourself. You shall do what God prefers and take pleasure for your neighbor as yourself. So then we get a little shuffly. That's a little tough. That's a little tough. Now you say, well, who's a neighbor? 
Who's a neighbor? Well, this is just someone who's near you. This is literally everyone around you. Look to the person to the left of you and to the right of you and say, you're my neighbor. Go, 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 go. You're my neighbor. Yeah, you're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. Left to the right. You are my neighbor. That's right. And this isn't just for, hey, hey, he's not letting us off the hook here. This just isn't for people who you like. People who you aren't frustrated with. People who don't drive you crazy. This is for your neighbor. And, and here's the thing. Here's the cool thing with this. As I was looking at my kids this week, there's no age limit to this. My sons are just as much my neighbors as Tom, our setup captain, is. Or as anyone else in this church. My children are just as much my neighbors. And I shall do what God prefers and take pleasure for them as I would myself. That's the command. But notice what he doesn't say, loved ones. Notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, love yourself more so you can love others more. Everyone go, ah. Right? He's not saying, love, love your neighbor as yourself. Just, well, if I just increase my love for myself, then I'll have way more love for a neighbor. Nah. He's not doing that. There's nowhere in the Bible that commands that. And why is that, loved ones? Why? Because the truth is this. We love ourselves too much already. Our pride will see to that. We just love ourselves way too much. And our culture doesn't help, right? Look at the commercials. You, you driving here this morning. Have it your way, saw on one sign. You deserve a break today, saw it on a bell. Right? right, right? You deserve rest. You deserve, you deserve, you deserve. Uh, really? That's not true. See, notice the second commandment in verse 39, to love your neighbor as yourself, came second. This is so crucial, loved ones. We can't miss this. Why? Because it shows that our vertical love for God is to overflow into the horizontal love for others. It cannot happen any other way. It can't happen. You can't put your love for other people above your love for God. It won't work. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get discouraged. It has to flow out of the vertical love, the supernatural love that God is giving us. Because you can't lead other, people's to, other people to love God more if we're not going there ourselves. You can't give them something you don't have. Parents, think about what this does. The most important thing your children need from you is a deepening love and passion for Jesus Christ. Number one, before any presents, before Netflix, before Facebook, before the hockey team, the number one thing they need is a deepening love in you for the Lord and Savior of their lives, Jesus Christ. Number one thing. Spouses, same thing. Employees, same thing. Students, same thing. That's the number one thing. Because here's, here's, here's why this is so important. Because as soon as you begin to love anything more than God in your life, you have effectively made that person a God or thing, a God in your life. As soon as you try to reverse and put the horizontal, people's like, people's like well, church is about loving people first. No, church is about loving God first and then ministering to people to bring them to him. Out of love for them. Because the minute you reverse it, you've made that thing or person a God. And God can't bless that. He cannot bless it. He will not share his glory. 
Isaiah 42, 8. But as we pursue Christ in his strength as our first love, we can then begin to see his power at work through us to love others as we long to be loved. And you know what this means? You know what this means, loved ones? Humility. Humility. God before me, you before me. God before me, you before me. The things that you would love people to do for you, here's the thing, do for them. The opportunities that you would like to have, hey, give them to others. The patience, care, service, or listening that you would like to be shown, show it to others. The prayers that you would like people to be praying for you, pray for them. The investment you would like others to make in your life, invest that into theirs. Because here's the reality. When God, a love, vertical love for God is our first pursuit, this isn't no longer based on what they can do for you. It is based on what Christ has done for us. Whether they can, quote unquote, pay you back or not. Just think, just think, loved ones, for a moment, what could happen to our church, to this nation, if the power of God and love for God was unleashed in this way in his people, in his church? What could happen? But we get so twisted on this, don't we? Isn't it so easy? The server, that's, our hearts are idol factories, and they want to put other things ahead of the Lord. We get so twisted, and we wonder why we're not growing in our passion and love for the Lord, for his church, and for people around us. And people come up to me, and they say, why are you so passionate? Why are you so passionate? And my question is, why aren't you? Not in a condescending, but why? What's going on? What's happening? Let's bring it before the Lord together. Right? It's because our flesh is always tempting us to substitute the vertical for the horizontal. It wants to put people in things. This is our default, by the way, loved ones. This should put us on our knees every day. Our default reaction is to put people or other things ahead of God in our lives, especially ourselves, our own agendas, our own way of doing things. But what inevitably ends up happening is that as you remove God out from being your first love, you don't end up loving people. You end up using them. When you remove God out of your first love in your life, you don't end up loving people. You end up using them. That's why God's like, love me for... I mean, I mean just... Look around us. People... This hit me this week. I read this and I was just very convicted. People were created to be loved. Loved by God, loved by others. Things were created to be used. The world is in turmoil because as God gets rejected, things are being loved and people are being used. And I think of the people as I read this the big of the people serving in our church and they know this first thing I said to them in our core group meeting was you are loved more for who you are than what you do it can't go any other way it won't work and this world is crying out for the love of its savior and he has called us as the church to be his instrument to bring it to them it's the only hope the world has And the reality, if I could sum up this point, 
is this. If you are not growing in a genuine love for Christ, you're not growing in a genuine love for others. You're just not. It's impossible to love others genuinely. If we are not growing in a genuine love for Christ, a passion for Christ, we are not growing in a genuine love for others. So let me ask you a question. Where is it out of order for you? Where is it out of order? The only way to love people faithfully is when God is our first love. Maybe with our spouse, our classmates, maybe kids. Where is it out of order? Because when we begin to use people, here's a word to complain about them. When we are having an out of order love, our horizontals replacing our vertical, we start to complain about God's church. It is the most passionate thing on his heart. We start to complain about others when they don't do what we want them to do. It's easy to do. And some of us would say, well, I would love them, but if you only knew how frustrated I am with them or how they've hurt me or how inconvenient my life is right now because of them. Listen, listen, loved ones, stop right there. This is why Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and I and made his power available to us so that in our love for others, it would not be based on how we feel about a person in the moment, but it is now based on how Christ feels about them in that moment and his heart for them is always love. His heart for them is always love. How do we know this? 1 John 4, 19, you'll see it on the screen. It says, we loved because he first loved us. See that? Vertical, horizontal. We love because of this. You, and, and the reality is this. You and I deserve Christ's love much less than that other person deserves it from us. That's the reality. You want to grow in a passionate love for people? Ask God to help you grow in a passionate love for him and watch what he does in your life in this church. That's what it means to build on our foundation. Everything starts here. Vertical and then the horizontal. To build on the foundation of the church, we must first recognize our vertical command, love God above all. We must recognize our horizontal command, love others as ourselves, and we must embrace, our final point today is this, we must embrace our fulfilled command, Jesus Christ for us. Look at verse 40. I'm taking home. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus takes it up a notch here on the Pharisees and says, it's not just the law of Moses that depends or hangs on these two commandments. Remember he said, what's the most important commandment in the law, the lawyer said? It's not just that being fulfilled, but now Jesus includes the law and the prophets. You know what the whole prophets is? That's the whole Old Testament. So he's like, you take your first five books of the Bible, I'm up in the ante here. This is the whole Old Testament is fulfilled with a passionate love for God and loving your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> he just ratcheted it up. Guy didn't see that coming. And this means that the fulfillment of every Old Testament command under the Old Covenant and now every New Testament command in the New Covenant is dependent on these two things happening and is essential in us being faithful to the calling we have as followers of Jesus Christ and his church. It's essential. It's all dependent. And you say, well, I'm feeling overwhelmed and that's totally impossible. Yeah, 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 yeah. But here, these two commands Christ gives us are absolutely impossible. Let's recognize that. And we have no hope of fulfilling them on our own. 
but. Ready? Ready? Ready for this? Your pen's ready. They are impossible to do without someone who can do the impossible. They are impossible to do without someone who can do the impossible. And by God's magnificent love and grace for us, he gave us the one who did the impossible and fulfilled both of these commands perfectly when he sent his son Jesus Christ to earth to die for our sins and rise again three days later so that as we repent of our sin and trust in him alone as our Lord and Savior, we would have his power to love like this and to see his church established for his glory. Look at Matthew 5, 17 as we close with this. It says this, Do not think, Jesus says, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So question, final question for today. Have you embraced Jesus Christ as your personal savior, knowing that he is the only hope for your life? Have you embraced him as your personal savior? You're not here by accident. And that question, whether we realize it or not, is going to be answered when we stand before him soon. Everything starts here. And if you have made that decision, let me ask you a question, loved ones. Church, are you embracing Christ as your first love? Drawing on his power and seeking to love others as you love yourself through it. That's a challenge. We'll never get it perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about perseverance. Perseverance in the strength of the Lord. Make no mistake, these are not hopeless days. These are hope-filled days for the church. Why? Why? You saw it on that opening video we did. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. The greatest prize we could ever have. He will build his church. The gates of hell will not stand against it. And to build on him as our foundation, we must embrace the commands to love him above all, love others as we love ourselves, and embrace him as our Lord and Savior who fulfilled these perfectly. And because of that, the best days of this church are ahead. Amen? Let's pray. Worship team, you can come up. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this will prove true. Psalm 1830, every word of the Lord will prove true, and it is a shield for those who take refuge in it. Father, I thank you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. These commandments have not changed, and these commandments set the trajectory literally for everything that is built on you as our foundation as a church moving forward. And so, God, I confess, it's so hard sometimes, Lord. My heart is so prone to wander, to want the vertical or to want the horizontal over the vertical. God, I pray in Jesus' name that even now by your spirit you would be moving in us, revealing where we have lost our first love and our only response would be that of repentance and coming before the throne of grace again and saying, Lord, I want you. Lord, build your kingdom here. These are exciting days. Build your kingdom. Father, fill us with the strength and love of Jesus Christ to run this race with perseverance until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.